0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Just when you thought the Deshaun Watson situation was over, here comes the CBA agreement And not so fast, it's going to stay in the news. Uh, I'm Alan Cizlowski. Of course, I'm here with Mario Puig. I'm sitting in for John McKegney, and this is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Mario, uh, best we can, let's try to sort out Deshaun Watson, and let's give the facts as we understand them. And then, of course, we'll give our fantasy takes on it, because at the end of the day... I'm not emotional about fantasy. You could have your your morality stances, and and I certainly understand that. And anytime a uh, an oblig you know something like this happens with a player, people will be put off and not want to deal with them. But uh, I try to just look at it, especially when I'm in these high stakes fantasy leagues. I have to understand if I'm going to um, you know draft Sean Watson. So why don't you start and lay out everything that's happened up until this point that we didn't know already uh, at the start of this podcast?
2: Well. I can't claim to be an expert on it or anything, but it just seems to be the case that uh, uh, this this appeal, it's called, for some reason, the league appealing uh, the ruling from the, uh, whatever, appointed judge. Uh, I, I don't understand how that process was even theory supposed to work when it just kind of goes back to Goodell anyway. Uh, I guess that could just be the entire point of it, kind of like a, you know, make it look like he's he's uh, he's giving some sort of, you know, whatever, unbiased uh, judge to it when it's just they always keep it in place the the one trigger that they can pull if they want to just kind of go back to whatever just Goodell wanted to do anyway. And in this case, it kind of just looks like he wants to, or the, the plurality of league owners telling Goodell what to do anyway, want to bury Watson. And uh, I, I guess, I don't know if it was Jeff Darlington, somebody like that was saying, uh um, who's
1: Jeff Darlington for the audience?
2: Uh, he's one of those one of the he used to be a Miami guy I think but now I think he's national for like NFL Network or something like that. Sorry, I should have known. So he's a media uh, personality. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's got a lot of connections all over the place and uh I, and not just him, there were there were other people like Charles Robinson probably was on this. Um it's uh apparently like they're they're considering either going for a full year or an indefinite suspension anyway or a more uh Uh, not a short suspension exactly but a shorter one and a defined one something like you know 12 games maybe uh in exchange for watson putting up some sort of uh, monetary penalty and uh i don't know i don't know how to tell which way would be more likely than another i would imagine watson has paid quite a bit in attorney fees already and settlement fees so i don't know if he wants to i guess it depends on how aggressive the league is being about the monetary part uh, that, that maybe, you know, determines mm-hmm. whatever Deshaun views it as. So I, I don't know in the otherwise the uh, if they give him the full year or indefinite suspension. Uh, I don't know enough about the injunction process with courts, but uh, Ezekiel Elliott, and, and it's kind of like the ridiculous thing where it's like different courts just rule different arbitrarily ways than just because it's based on like the political views of the judges or who appointed them anyway. Uh, so like Zeke had his suspension, uh, like whatever it called, like stayed by an injunction or whatever. But then when it got pushed up to a higher court, they just like dropped the hammer again. And that's, I think where it's headed. And I think ultimately uh, the league and the types of people who generally are judges in us courts have an interest in absolutely crushing Watson because it's also crushing the players union in the process. So I think it's, Setting up to be a, a kind of two birds with one stone thing for Roger Goodell in the league, where they can say, "Look, we are a you know moral institution, and we do not tolerate degenerate behavior like this, predatory behavior like this." Uh, while more, more so, we're just as much getting to uh, kind of crush the, the the player association in the process too.
1: Yeah, this is um. So basically, uh, the for those who aren't familiar with the the last collective bargaining agreement between the players and the league, that in the past Roger Goodell or an appointee would be judge, jury, and executioner. He had sole power over who would dole out the punishments. That was him. And in the new agreement, it would be a mutually appointed judge. In this case, everyone's heard the name Sue Robinson in the news over the last few days. And she based on the three violations that she found of the, um, player uh, conduct policy, she handed out a six game suspension. Now the NFL must've gotten, I'm sorry, the, the Sean Watson side must've gotten wind of that because they immediately before the the ruling came down, agreed to, Hey, we're not going to appeal. You shouldn't either. They must've had a a feeling based on the hearings that it was going to be that punishment, right? The NFL, um, I mean, you can only just uh, now here, I'm just guessing was waiting to see because they had three days to appeal what the backlash would be. The backlash was obviously, hey, that's not enough. I mean, even (laughs) I thought it was going to be a full season and I'm usually on the lighter side of these things. Uh, So now they're appealing. Uh, And it it just dropped a few minutes ago that Roger Goodell is not going to preside over the hearings. Again, that doesn't matter. It's going to be his appointee. And I would think now that it's either going to be a full season or it's going to be 12 games. Now, the reason why I think and now we're just guessing here at this point, this is no facts involved, that Deshaun Watson will get 12 games because if they do give a year and an indefinite suspension, you just brought up a key point. The Zeke Elliott case. Zeke was allowed to play while the federal appeal was going on. The NFL does not want that in my judgment. That's a bad look for the NFL that they that's going to distract from opening day. So I think they will settle on a punishment less than a full season just so this goes away for opening day, which is basically tonight. If it's the Hall of Fame game, Um, based on what I just said here, uh, you know, even though we all think it should be a full season, uh, given the Zeke Elliott situation where he could play while you know we just went through that. What is your I, mean, I best guess I don't guess. know what
2: the difference would be between having to let him play because of an injection and injunction and letting him play um for the strategy of not seeming in- affected by the courts or having more power than the the courts. I don't know. I, I think uh if Watson plays less or sorry, if Watson um misses less than a full year, then it's because he paid up like that. I think it's gotta be like that he financial session scenario. Uh, yeah, because I, I I think it was, actually now that I think about it, it might have been Charles Robinson actually who uh, said it was either going to be an indefinite uh, year-long kind of thing or Watson could get a lighter time suspension in exchange for paying some presumably substantial sum of money. Right. Okay. And uh, yeah, so I don't. Uh, and the other thing is too, he could end up they could put that they could put the uh, indefinite year-long suspension on him and Deshaun Watson. I don't know. This is me speculating too much, probably. But I think the Browns might need to tell him, like, you're not actually going to appeal this because or get get the pursue the injunction for it, rather. Because if you get an injunction and end up uh, getting like six weeks of court delays before the league puts in a ruling that they want to be more than a year any or to be a year anyway, then you're not going to have a whole year to sit out. You're going to go six games into 2023 not playing and then we miss the playoffs then, too. So I don't know. We'll see. I I personally have trouble you know, guessing with any certainty anything right. that's going on because the the tides have seemingly gone back and forth so many. Yeah, it's times all speculation. Days.
1: So okay, let's let's just let's and one more speculative before we get into the fantasy analysis here. What's his best, in your opinion? What's his best case scenario? What's the least number of games missed that's realistic at this point if they do reach a settlement?
2: Uh, six. Or sorry, uh, I play six.
1: So twelve, you would say like a 12-game a suspension or-ish.
2: Yeah, uh, sorry, five years. I, I, I should have uh, right. thought.
1: <laughs> so a 12-game is his, probably his best thing where, all right, so yeah, yeah. Let, let's operate under that the best-case scenario assumption because now we got to talk about if you should draft Deshaun Watson. Now, in single quarterback leagues with a short bench, uh, I think the obvious answer is no. Uh, when you get into the NFFC stuff, the high-stakes stuff that you and I both play with a 10-person bench, is Deshaun Watson worth rostering if you can now get him in the, you know, 12th or 13th round, especially since in a single quarterback league, there's going to be plenty of options.
2: I don't know. I mean, it's still it's still, I think, preferable to have your bench spot go to some just running back, I guess, just in case someone gets hurt. Uh, hello, Johannes. <laughs> someone just in case someone gets hurt in camp and then you don't have to pay, you know, 900 fab to pick them up uh when everyone goes after them yeah. at the same time uh, just before the season starts the opportunity
1: uh, cost of a roster spot is is valuable yeah. yeah
2: and uh the other thing is we even if Watson plays 6 games or whatever 5 games we don't know necessarily when those games will be so if you had clarity that yeah he's going to pursue the injunction he might play the first 6 weeks then you can kind of specifically make a quarterback strategy where I mean not that I know how you do it exactly, but you could kind of just plan like, okay, I know I won't have Watson after these six weeks. I can I can evaluate uh, whatever that means to me, however value or risk I see that for and, and plan accordingly. But if you're taking him and you don't even know like he could just kind of end up missing the whole year. he could uh, play at a time of the year when you'd rather start one of your other quarterbacks anyway because you can't go too cheap by the rest of your quarterbacks. I mean, the guy's not playing the whole year. So I I think practically it's difficult. you don't I feel like you'd almost need like a just a really massive bench or like fourteen team league that kind of situation before I before I would care anyway.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. Let somebody else take him. It's just not worth it. There's too many good options. And I think the key thing that you underline and what the actionable takeaway is is the opportunity cost. I'd rather have Khalil Herbert on my bench. Yeah, I'd rather have. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I I'd, re- I'd almost rather put Trey Sermon on my bench at this point because Easily. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, people NFC
2: especially, yeah, like definitely.
1: Right, where there's a limited number. Okay. All right. So now what are we doing with the uh with Amari Cooper? Uh I mean, he was going around the 6th round. I didn't mind him at that value. I mean, he's going to get 120 target floor if he stays healthy i mean he could end up with 140 targets i know nobody likes amari cooper with jacoby percent but i I think he's an important fantasy player for those who go running back
3: early
2: yeah i gotta open with the disclaimer that i i might just be too low on cooper i don't know anyone lower on cooper than i am and it's not because i think he's a bad player i do think he's a poor um like aesthetic and cultural fit for the afc north i don't think he's i don't think he's ready for the cold i don't think he is ready for the the grabby, late-hitting, head-hunting kind of defense they play in that division. Uh, I can imagine him kind of checking out at some point in the year. And uh, I'm I'm worried about there being basically nothing there, especially because I'm, I guess, I've, and all along I've been kind of pessimistic on the Watson thing. Uh, so I've, I have not even thought once about taking Cooper. I need him to get a lot cheaper yet. Uh, with that said, if I am wrong about Watson, then I'm wrong about Cooper. So... Uh that would be as simple as that. Uh, what I mean though, by I, I think he's a poor aesthetic fit is um, he's had a lot of like nagging injuries picked up over in Dallas the past couple of years. And he's just kind of, um, he hasn't been able to practice as much as a player with his kind of usage, at least at his age, it, it's kind of a little bit light. Like they, they've been treating him like he's a 31 year old, 32 year old, 32 year old veteran for the past couple of years. And uh, I think if Jacoby Brissett is his quarterback, it's, he, it'll be the most like pain he's ever had playing the game of football. And uh, I don't know, I don't know if it's easy to just get used to that, especially when it's cold, especially when you're on this embarrassing team that, you know, has, has this just black cloud over it. Um, I'm, I'm obviously reading into it quite a bit, but uh, my paranoia gets the best of me with Cooper.
1: Yeah. I uh, I've been taking Jacoby Brissett as a QB three, QB four in these superflex leagues. Nobody thinks he's going to be a good player, but In the dog days of Superflex, when you need a when you need an emergency quarterback, he's still better than like wide receiver, you know, fifteen right that you you hopefully will have. I mean, if you have like Jarvis Landry, I'm just using him, or Brandon Cooks in your flex spot, I'd still rather have Jacoby Brissett because he's going to throw the ball twenty five times, even if it's a Nick Chubb monster. But before we we go into a little bit deeper analysis there, I just want to um, ask you, Mario. Is there something that you wish you had in your fantasy league or features that are missing from your current leagues? Bonus scoring, custom schedules, or playoffs? Uh, Deeper team settings, we'll look no further. We have you covered with our friends from Fantrax. Fantrax is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience in your dynasty keeper, redraft, and best ball leagues. Mario, I'm doing a uh, Fantrax league uh, for Draft Sharks contest coming up. I'm excited because the last time I looked at Fantrax, uh, it was a little bit messy, but now they have made the app like to the point where I'm recommending it to friends. So uh, also, Jock Peterson, the MLB star All Star, recently announced that he's moving his fantasy football league, his notorious fantasy football league, to Fantrax. Fantrax is excited to announce Fantrax Game Day Experience Giveaway. Fantrax will be sending one lucky fantasy football fan to a regular season game of their choice, along with six thousand bucks towards travel and accommodations. All of you have to do is enter the giveaway is to create your uh, an, or join a league on Fantrax. The more leagues you create and join, the more chances you have to win. There's a reason why players who are on Fantrax make it a permanent home for all their fantasy leagues. Go to Fantrax.com slash RotoWire. Sign up today. Um, have you ever played a league on Fantrax before?
2: Yeah. Uh, they actually have, I, I think, been pretty much the sole provider of college fantasy football for uh, I don't know the better part of like 10 years now. So me and John have uh, been in quite a few fan tracks leagues over the years in that uh, sport alone.
1: All right. Uh, The other big piece of news that dropped the other day was the uh, Miami Dolphins. Okay. So owner Steven Ross, uh, he, they basically, we don't have to go through the whole reason, but they lost a first round draft pick. Uh, The dynasty. Yeah, that it's, it's heavy. So they had two first-round picks next year. Now they'll only have one. They'll have San Francisco's, which is going to be a late pick But if, if things play out according to the Vegas totals. Uh, just the quick dynasty takeaway here, Mario, is that I think this insulates Tua for another year because if things went south for Tua, they were going to have two first-round picks to move up and go get a quarterback. I'm not saying they can't still do it or bring in a, 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 a real veteran, but don't you think that this gives Tua a little bit more dynasty insulation
2: it might. I mean, if it goes badly enough, he might be at risk to even like a second round quarterback or something like that. Yes. I don't know. It's, it's tough for me to think it through. And I, I actually don't know much about the upcoming quarterback classes yet either. So um, that makes it difficult for me. I, I don't know what to do with Tua. It's tough because his he's got so much help there and the offensive line too might be quite a bit better. McDaniels could be a totally decent coach. I, I have no idea how to call that one. Uh, but
1: he has elite weapons Tua this is it like, yes,
2: yes, yes he, he this is
1: like, hey, tank for Tua. you were supposed to be the quarterback it didn't go great. Now he's way removed from his injury. He's got his, his safety blanket in Jalen Waddle, and he's got, I think, who Tyreek Hill is still the best wide receiver in the NFL, just like actual NFL receiver. If not, he's top three. It's now or never, right?
2: Uh, Well, it it is now or never. I just, I do worry that it is never, uh, the people (laughs) who have been around him, the people have been around him around the team. I mean, it's actually kind of sad. I feel bad for the guy. I think he's had a really unfair deal in a lot of ways. Like it, it is possible too, that if he's not you know good enough in the NFL, it could be as simple as that hip injury that he had. Like it might, it might not have been anything he could control, but, uh, it's it is not a positive mood around him, and it has not been for a long time. You had like the tight end mutiny his rookie year when they they wanted to put Ryan Fitzpatrick back on the field and went uh you know putting him down in anonymous quotes. Uh, it, uh at least one recent coach of his has gone around saying really kind of uh, mean things about him. Uh, to anyone who would listen, there are other things uh, that I can't really mention on here, but. Uh, yeah, it it sounds really bad around him, and um, like you said, he couldn't possibly have more help. But uh, it's just going to be a really interesting experiment on just kind of, you know, it, it, is is it kind of just is is it impossible to fail with pass catchers like these? And uh, we might find out that it is, and we we also could still find out that maybe he's good. I don't know, but it it doesn't seem that way. That that second part seems really unlikely to me.
1: This is such a critical year for Tua, for Danny Dimes, for Trevor Lawrence, I believe, too, and Zach Wilson. I mean, two of these guys likely are going to flop. I mean, it's hard. to I know that it's almost impossible to see Trevor Lawrence flopping. But just statistically, when you take this group of guys that was, you know, they, they have not been as advertised. I mean, we have a little bit more of a reveal on Dimes and Tua. You know, there's a little bit more, you know, probably. I don't know where you are on Zach Wilson, but I'm, you know. I'm all but thrown in the towel. kind
2: of agnostic. It doesn't sound like Saleh is that big of a fan, which is kind of strange. <laughs> Although um maybe he just maybe he just kind of is a, uh, you know, if like Bill Parcells were a coach today for instance, he'd he'd say something that, you know, like yeah, he sucks or something, but it he didn't really mean it, you know. So some, sometimes coaches just kind of talk that way, but yeah, Saleh seems a little bit I don't know, cold toward Wilson and um I didn't like Wilson as a pick. I I thought he was kind of like a late first. I like I would have had him go a little later than Mac Jones myself. Um, so uh, with that said, I can't, I can't really, you know, bury him too much for his rookie year. He was an underclassman and sometimes guys just get a little better once they get, you know, at least 22, 23 that are, you know, it's, they're still very young, especially as underclassmen. So uh, in, in Lawrence's case, I think he's just, he's a Jedi. He's going to be sick uh, beginning this year. And uh, Daniel Jones to me is like in a totally different class. I, I couldn't believe that guy went in the first three rounds of the draft, let alone in the top 10. Uh, so Jones was a really bad prospect to me, whereas, you know, Wilson, I, I at least think, did belong in the first round somewhere.
1: You know, the Jets are like the anti-Bears. The Jets did everything to see what they got, right? Like, they totally – I mean, he, he has one of the best sets of weapons and offensive line when you add it all together for a young quarterback, whereas Justin Fields, they're like, hey, dude, you're on your own here. Like, Velus Jones, I, I like Velus Jones, but, I mean, that's hardly – you know that's kind of like a special teams guy that's fast. Right. And then, yeah. yeah, And then there was some reports yesterday that Aquimia St. Brown is running with the ones there. So I would have rather, when the, when that draft was happening, uh, I was, I was hoping the jets were going to take Justin Fields. What are your, given that the, the, I would say the lack of support that he's gotten from the organization. um, Are you interested in Justin Fields just because he's a good player? I mean, or is that offense just you know, no good for you.
0: Well,
2: I don't think I could really make consistent use of fields in redraft or managed leagues. I, in dynasty, fine. It's like, if you got him, you're kind of just riding with him or whatever. But in redraft, I don't want to have to guess when he's going to have his 40 yard touchdown run. You know, it's like, he's going to have a lot of games that are disappointing and I think he's going to have a handful of good games, but I don't think it'll be easy to guess which is which ahead of time. And, it might not even come down to matchups that much. I mean, there's, he's going to have what should be easy matchups that he can't capitalize on because he just doesn't have enough help. And I think he's also the kind of, uh, like an athletic talent like him, the big play threat that he is, he can have one of his better fantasy games against one of the toughest on paper matchups, especially if it comes down to him just having like a 40-yard touchdown run or something. Uh, he can do that. So I don't know how to make use of him. I, I feel like I'd, I'd leave him, I'd get a lot of bench points out of him if I had him in redraft, but in, in uh best ball, I'm definitely open to it. If the price is low enough, I, I don't think he's, I don't think it's on the table that he throws for a whole lot of production this year, but I think he's a, a, a very encouraging prospect and he's, he's definitely a, you know, like a top three kind of rush threat.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty interesting there with Justin Fields because in, you know, in dynasty leagues, he goes early because it's a young, talented quarterback, but in redraft, that's like the sober—I always call the, the redraft rankings, the consensus rankings, the sober rankings for dynasty players, right? We, uh, we, we have all these players that we like, and then all of a sudden they're like, you know, Justin Fields is going in the second—the 2-3 turn in Superflex Dynasty, and then, yeah, he's QB like 19, and it's like, oh, you know, and he's going undrafted in single quarterback leagues. Uh, There was a question in the chat that actually is funny. Thanks, Scott, for this great question, because I have it on my list to ask Mario anyway. I think that he's asking about quarterback strategy and single quarterback leagues in 2022. And Mario, everyone has access to the same information in fantasy football. I mean, casual players are sharper than ever. I think we can agree on that, that you can, because there's so much, the, the ADP data actually has money behind it now. People are playing best ball that, the most casual guy in your office could walk in, just use ADP and have a pretty decent draft. He's not going to screw it up that bad, right? So the edge in fantasy football is roster construction in my judgment and how you construct your roster with a tight end and a quarterback, I think is everything. What's going to be your quarterback strategy. Say you have, you're in one league, $300 league, like real money here. Okay. How are you going to handle the quarterback position in a single quarterback league?
2: Well, uh, so, so I was talking about how fields I'm worried about getting mostly bench points out of him. I, I guess I would need to target someone who I, I am basically comfortable to use uh, so that I don't uh, tinker with the lineup too much and end up putting them on the bench when they, when they do have their decent games. And I guess uh, I haven't, so I haven't done any NFFC or even the, uh, like the the fishbowl draft. I mean, that was super flex. So yeah, that doesn't count. And and best ball
1: ball doesn't even count either because it's almost like a super flex draft because you need multiple quarterbacks. So just based on your knowledge of ADP, I mean, look, you could, are you going to shop in the third round for an elite?
2: I I haven't done this drill yet myself. So I I, I am only guessing how I would react, but I, I want to get, I I would love to get Herbert Allen, somebody like that. uh, But I, I am a little bit out on certain guys at ADP. Uh, I, I I guess, um, I'm not so much out on them at ADP as much as I I would worry about tinkering my lineup with them. Like I'm worried about Dak having a bit of a rough year. I'm not so much in on him. I'm not so much in on Kyler Murray. Uh, I I guess but the thing is if I don't take Allen or Herbert, then I'm probably waiting for like, not, not as long as I used to anyway, but Trey Lance, like he's a guy that I'm, I know it might be rough a little bit, but I'm comfortable putting him on the field every week. I don't care. I'm not, not worried about it. Um, but if I don't get Lance, then I might have to go like really cheap and, and kind of test my, uh, my judgment ability with the lineups. Uh, you know, if, if I, I, mean, I don't want to reach for Herbert or whoever, if I have to go with like Daniel Jones or something ridiculous like that, because I feel like the board is forcing me to, I'll do it. But, uh, I don't want to take, I don't want to like reach at any point, even though I also kind of want to get that security. So. Uh, I, I think in practice I'm going to be trying to get a lot of Herbert, a uh, Burrow I meant to mention. Uh, so yeah, Burrow, Herbert, and um, Lance I guess are who I look at, who I, who I might plan to look at and redraft. Um, in in baseball I've basically been taking just Lance yeah. uh, Fields and Mariota. <laughs>
1: Best ball is like you said, best ball is Very almost yeah. single quarterback in best ball is almost like two quarterbacks. So this is the plan. So last year I was advocating for reaching up into the fourth round to take one of the vanity quarterbacks. And I say the vanity quarterbacks, I mean, you know, the Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Lamar, you know, the, the ones that have yeah. basically been t- had a great shot at the top three or four for the last three years. So this year I'm not doing that. And if you want Justin Herbert, if you want Josh Allen, you're going to have to spend around a five or four pick on them. And it's totally justifiable because you're looking at like Brandon Cooks or Allen Robinson, or, and again, those are good players and you want them on your roster. So there's an opportunity cost. And the two options that I've landed on my weight on quarterback was Jalen Hurts is still a little underpriced. I think that he does have QB one overall upside. He is that Lamar Jackson from a few years ago. I'm not saying he's going to be an MVP in the real NFL, but you told me something that really, um, I mean, I was already Jalen Hurts or bust in my single quarterback leagues, but I asked you the other day about Jalen Hurts. If he has, if he has deep ball in his game and you told me about his days at Oklahoma, he would uncork it. So, what uh,
2: I think I think he's a pretty properly bad passer, but I think he he plays really well within himself. Like he knows how he knows what he can't do, and he doesn't make as many mistakes as you would expect a a a a, a passer as raw as him to be. Um, but I'm I'm not against him at all, and I think I think AJ Brown get it's as simple as AJ Brown getting in there for um uh, Rager and. Uh, I don't know if it was Watkins was the only other one last year, uh, but basically putting in AJ Brown is going to increase Jalen Hurts ca- uh completion percentage and yards per pass alone. Like that, as simple as him getting there is going to raise Hurts from uh, 61 or whatever he was to like maybe like 65, maybe 66. And I think the yards per, per attempt is going to go up. The interceptions might come down, even if the touchdowns don't go up. So I think I think he's clearly going to do more as a passer than he did last year. Uh, I just happen. I just haven't really took him because I guess it's, I guess it's because I'm taking burrow in that range or I'm waiting around and taking Lance or I was, I don't know if Lance is going at the same spot now, Uh, but yeah, I'm not trying to fade hurts, especially with AJ Brown there.
1: All right. Video audits stick with us uh, for two seconds in the audio audits. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to continue talking about our quarterback and tight end strategy for single quarterback redraft leaks. We'll be right back in just a minute.
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: And we're back. I'm Alan Soslowski sitting in for John McKechnie on the Thursday podcast. And of course, sitting in the co-pilot chair, who actually you're the pilot Mario Puig. I'm just the co-pilot steering the ship, but you're the captain of the ship today. (laughs) And uh, we were talking about when we last left off, uh, roster construction is really the edge in single quarterback leagues. And, you know, I found myself, if I'm going to do the weight on quarterback this year, I think the QB 12 to 14 range is, is pretty rich. And those are Derek Carr with his new weapons, Kirk Cousins with his potentially upgraded offensive scheme. And I still like Aaron Rodgers. Put him aside for the second because he has his obvious warts. But don't you think the ultimate weight on quarterback guys, if you can get him in round 10, round 9, round 11, Cousins and Carr? Um, those guys seem pretty viable given the weaponry and the coaching system around them.
2: Yeah. uh, I meant to mention uh, Russell Wilson too, when we were talking about, I I definitely like Russell Wilson at at his price, but uh, yeah, as far as car and cousins, I think they're totally good values. And I think I kind of would maybe hope for a little more than they tend to offer. But if I had them in a redraft league, I would just keep them active every week. Like I wouldn't worry about screwing it up. Like I would with fields or even, or even like Trevor Lawrence or someone else that I am relatively high on. Um, if we're trying to anticipate improvement specifically with one of the two, I think I like Carr's chances a little more just because, well, not just because of Devonte Adams. Uh, that's certainly, I guess, the main reason, but I actually like Josh McDaniels for Derek Carr's purposes. I know Carr threw quite a few passes last year. I think he's still going to throw more this year. I mean, McDaniels is consistently a very up-tempo coach, so I think they're going to run a lot of plays. I think a lot of players in that offense are going to get a lot of reps. And I think uh, as long as Adams, Waller Renfro are healthy Carr could have both his best volume and best efficiency as a passer this year and to this point in his career. So uh, that's not to say I have them well ahead of cousins or anything. I, I, it's more like, uh he's the preferred I mean, the option chance, though i'd like he's, to split my exposure if i have right. that option yeah yeah it's
1: either or like if if uh i've been in leagues where i've been targeting them and as soon as uh car goes i just okay my next pick has got to be cousins or if cousin goes ahead of him i know my next pick. i'm i'm good with either for different re- reasons obviously we like the afc west i mean you know that's at least six i love game- that division i yeah, want a six- lot
2: of exposure to the afc west
1: Totally. Six games of a shootout. Plus the Raiders defense, not great <laughs> to say the least. So that also means uh, pinball games. Uh, you know, I like Carr. It's just funny that, uh, you know, Josh Jacobs, basically let's, I want to talk about him for a second. He is to- there's a few running backs that have this stink on them that nobody wants but those are going to probably be useful players. I mean, Josh Jacobs, when draft season started, was a third-round pick. Now he's dripping into the sixth. Him, Antonio Gibson, and I don't even want to mention Miles Sanders, but those three guys I have very Elijah little.
2: Elijah Mitchell is a favorite. He's moving up, though, mean? now. He's now oh, moving
1: up. He's now yeah. Wow. He's now in the fourth round of, of, of the redraft. Like, I know in best ball where it's wide receiver crazy, he goes in the sixth round, and yes, that would be the smash hit. But you get into some of these NFFC drafts, and these pros, they, they know Elijah Mitchell's a good running back. So be prepared to take him on the four or five turn if you want him. But I talk about those guys that nobody likes the, I, I want does Josh Jacobs have a chance? Does Antonio Gibson with his new ADP in the six uh, late sixth round? And then certainly miles Sanders. I'm curious of your take on as well.
2: Sanders is the one I'm lowest on. And it's not because I think he is bad or anything. I just think, especially if Jalen hurts is going to run as much as he tends to and if Sanders is non-viable but as a pass catcher, which he pretty much has been aside from his rookie year, and, and even if he is viable, it's tough to be as good of a pass catcher as certainly Kenny Gainwell, and I'd say Boston Scott's pretty tough as far as that goes too. So I, I think Miles Sanders can definitely run, and if he just had a role where he could you know, get 15, 20 carries, he'd do really well with it. So if, if that scenario for some reason presents itself this year, I think he'll do well with it. I just don't know if, if that fits really well with what Hurts otherwise needs as a structure to, to thrive. So uh, we'll see. Uh, I, don't, I don't have any Sanders exposure. I don't really expect to, uh, especially when he's going ahead of guys like Rashad Penny and Corderell Patterson, uh, maybe even like Melvin Gordon. I don't know. It's tough for me to think that one through. I am definitely targeting Josh Jacobs and Antonio Gibson both, God. though. And, um, oh, thank God you said that because,
1: nobody, I mean, these guys literally are radioactive in drafts right now.
2: Yeah, I mean the the Gibson panic is absolutely hysterical. I mean, I I'd have to go into a, a long segment about Brian Robinson and what kind of player he is to to kind of take that one apart. But uh, Wait, is, to say,
1: it, is it a pro Brian Robinson or negative Brian Robinson? Negative.
2: He's like I wish him well or whatever, but he's a practice squad player. He he can't play in the NFL. Um. So uh, I was you know I was saying that about Tyrion Davis Price and a bunch of people who just look at draft orders and think it's a, it's a list of the best players in the league. And then, you know, they say, well, he went in the third round. He's got to be good. And like, we're kind of realizing that's not true. And if someone missed it, that memo, they'll get it soon. But uh, the next one to drop is Brian Robinson. And it's going to be another one of these things where, you know, people told the people who don't know running backs, were telling you to take him. They're telling him, you got got to worry about Brian Robinson. He's a third round pick. This is a long list of players like this, where they just disappear. No one remembers them. No one remembers the people, telling you to draft them certainly uh, for some reason, but this is a forgettable player who will just kind of be out of the league soon. And Gibson, by contrast, has a a pretty conventional projection to become one of the best running backs in the league instead in a couple of years. I mean, he's still even now in only his third year playing running back. Um, You know, J.D. McKissick didn't become a polished pass blocker overnight either. He actually was a college receiver too at Arkansas state. And it wasn't until like his third, fourth year in the league that all of a sudden he was identified as this plus passing down player. So, yeah, Gibson has been rough as a pass blocker. He's been uh, unacceptably bad with ball security. He can't keep fumbling like he has been. But those are just the two classic difficulties of a player transitioning to running back for the first time late in their career. And so him being a receiver, you have to assume he'll just be at his worst in those two categories the last two years, but not this year and onward. So if Gibson is not held back by his pass blocking hindrances, if he's not fumbling at that point, he's just a guy who runs a four, three, nine at 229 pounds. And that's almost identical athletic metrics to Jonathan Taylor. So but you could not that I'm saying he's going to be another Jonathan Taylor. I mean, Jonathan Taylor was you know a, a born freak running back, but Gibson could develop into one almost as good. Like he has the exact same raw materials to work with. And he has only done well by any reasonable standard to this point, but the people fading him have these ideas that like, Oh, Gibson's been a failure. Like, no, you just don't understand how football works. He has not been a failure. He's been a huge success. So, um, with Jacobs, it's a little more simple. I mean, uh, people are overrating Zamir white. People are over uh, rating Kenyon Drake. Uh, they're underrating Jacobs. And I, I hated Jacobs as a pick. I thought that was, I thought he was, you know, like right. a round three kind of prospect. So it's not my, uh, first inclination to advocate for him but hey there's... can we
1: go back please back up on gibson for a second just take a guess where did he finish last year rb what just off the top of your head final season totals um, uh like
2: 17 or something.
1: RB 10 my brother rb10 oh. yeah there were well, some
2: injuries though
1: but that's uh, well that's my point is though is that the perception yeah. on him even for someone who is interested in gibson is lower than it actually was so yeah i think you're, I... this underlines your point
2: Yeah, it's it's a it's a case of people just holding them to a standard that makes no sense. And and they're kind of uh, making a lot of wrong secondary calculations as a result of the first.
1: Yep. All right. Um, Just before we continue on with that, I just want to ask you if you're ready for fantasy to take your fantasy football skills to the next level, Mario, because daily fantasy football is the latest and greatest way to play fantasy football. And you can enter tournaments for one week or even one game. It's an awesome way to apply your fantasy skills and make some money. But do you know whether a 50-50 contest or a guaranteed GPP tournament is the right one for you, Mario? Or do you know the difference between fading and stacking? Worry not. The new edition of Fantasy Football for Dummies has you covered. You remember the for dummies series, Mario for everything. Now we have one for fantasy football inside this book. You'll uh, not just find basic information and strategies which is included for standard fantasy football but a whole section devoted to the hottest new fantasy action on the market. Whether you want to play through DraftKings, FanDuel or any of the other services, this book will help get you started with your bankroll and offer advice and insight into the different types of contests, strategies and major tournaments as well as tactics to take on daily fantasy to the next level whether you're looking for a little excitement or a chance to winning big time money daily fantasy football is the perfect game for you and the second edition of fantasy football for dummies is the book to help you win big i'm gonna i think i'm gonna get that so that would be a good gift uh, for like my uh, father-in-law he wants to get into fantasy football but he's a little intimidated because you know i just t- you know i try to tell him how like anyone can kind of play uh, maybe I'll get him a copy of that book for, uh, to get him into it this year. All right. Uh, I'm Alan Soslowski. I'm sitting in for John McKechnie on the Thursday podcast with my friend, Mario Puig. And we're talking about some of the radioactive backs. Uh, we just covered uh, Antonio Gibson. Uh, we just covered Josh Jacobs. Mario and I are both interested in them at their new uh, <laughs> sale prices, right? And I also want to talk about um, Alan Robinson here because I did a video with Jeff and we both agreed. and I don't think we're, you know, this is any breaking news here, that we're going to reach for Allen Robinson in the third round if we need to, if we go running back, running back. Right now, you don't have to. He goes routinely in the fourth round. DK Metcalf still going ahead of him with his bad quarterback situation. But So let's, let's juxtapose those two players, the highly skilled, in his prime, fresh contract, DK Metcalf with a, you know, a tough quarterback situation where Allen Robinson, man, who all the reports are arrow up. We already know he's an elite player. Just start with the easy question Which one of those guys do you want, and what do you expect for Allen Robinson for fantasy football in 2022?
2: So, I think Allen Robinson can still play. And I think if Matt Stafford stays healthy, Robinson will pay off, uh, yeah, upwards of the third round, uh, at least where he tends to go and probably higher. So, It's as simple as that for me, and I think he's a great fit for the offense, but I am getting kind of nauseous about the Rams' offense lately because uh, the Stafford elbow thing is kind of driving me insane. I thought, I thought we'd be past it already, and it's dragging on, and Stafford is, is not as young as he looks. I mean, you'd you look at him almost think he's like 29 or something. 34. Yeah, so uh, he's, he's been hurt a lot, too. He's took a lot of hits in his career. He's he's been hurt plenty of times in recent seasons, and this this elbow thing is is not uh, progressing the way I expected it to. So, I'm actually kind of putting a halt on more Robinson picks. But th- also the I like that the background there is I have a decent number of his picks already. Like I think I have a like three or four best ball teams with him. So uh, if I had zero shares already, maybe I. would still consider taking him anyway but to kind of protect myself in this particular portfolio i had i think i gotta tap a tap the brakes for the time being dk metcalf uh he maybe loses a little you know, he probably loses a good amount in ppr relative to like half point ppr but i think dk metcalf is based more likely under uh rated right now than uh properly priced and i think uh well, I'm a little more concerned if Drew Locke is the quarterback. I think it's going to be Geno and I know that sounds insane to Can Eric's I I wanna, want I wanna
1: to be- I want to cut in. I want to cut in for a second cuz I want to ask you about what you just said. I think that's an important point. The quarterback in which is ends up starting uh, in this specific case it actually does matter and uh, our former colleague Chris Lis made a point. I'm, I'm curious of your take on it. Even if you don't agree with that, I want you to push back on it. He said sometimes that the <sighs> the the wide receiver who's like the super alpha, right? Like a DK Metcalf is Definitely one of the super alphas of the league when he plays with the terrible quarterback, that terrible quarterback sometimes will just throw it up to him, whereas a good quarterback will, will take the right read. But sometimes when you have a, a below average quarterback that could still play in the league, I'm not talking about like a Peterman situation here, that they'll just force uh, force passes to the alpha. And we know DK Metcalf can erase a lot of mistakes is there any merit to that, or is that just, you know, I mean, I guess it could happen. So i like that for DK Metcalf, obviously.
2: Yeah, uh, I guess for me, though, Geno Smith already fits that category in right. Locke, <laughs> sooner wouldn't. Because uh, Locke, he's, he. I don't want to count him out for his career or anything. I mean, he's got some tools to work with, but it's like he can't stay on a script. Like, he can't. Right. It's like if he if he went to the line of scrimmage thinking, I got to force this one to Metcalf he'd probably more likely than anyone else find a way to end up, you know, chucking it 60 yards to the other side of the field. Like he just, he can't, if he goes to the line with the intention of doing it, you have to worry about him sticking with it. Uh, whereas Gino and and the other thing too, is like, Hey, yeah, of course I expect Gino to just kind of stay on that script a little better. But the, the other thing with Gino is um, I, I, it just kind of seems like he's headed towards being the starter, it, you know, very tenuously, but it it, it kind of seems that way. And the Seattle offense as a structure kind of makes that decision for you anyway. It's like you of course would have the inclination to go to Metcalf anyway, but also the read tells you, you have to, Uh, it's just going to be a narrow tree. It's going to be a low volume passing offense that intends to make itself viable by putting a very heavy percentage of its usage toward DK Metcalf, this alpha receiver. So um i think i don't even think it's really up to the quarterback in terms of the scheme sense it would almost matter more to me if they were like a three wide uh four wide offense you know because then the quarterback has something to actually think about they could they can reduce the process to i'm not really going to make those other reads i'm just going to this guy but with this one it's like it's just it's like a two-route offense you know
1: all right we're going to do some uh, some news items but we're going to go lightning round takes on them so again you you uh Say what you need to say on them, but we're just going to go multiple random topics here. And we're going to dig a little deep for some of you dynasty folks, too. But let's start with Javante Williams. A note came out this morning all right, uh, that Javante Williams could end up really being the workhorse backwards, more of a 70-30 split. Even 80-20 was speculated. I mean, we're not going to know till we know. And does Melvin Gordon's portion include the goal line, which you know is an important piece, but. Javante Williams, when draft season started, before Melvin Gordon was signed, I saw him going early first round. He dropped to the second. He dropped. He leaked into the third. The third round is obviously a very safe place to take him, but Javante Williams' ADP is about to rise with a note like this. It happens all the time. Where are you going to be comfortable taking Javante Williams, and does he have the upside that everyone thinks he might?
2: I wasn't really taking him before, so if his price goes up, I'm way out of range, but uh, this is not actionable information, in my opinion. This is some beat writer either guessing something or simply describing what the practice workload has been like between the two in training camp. And it's like, well, Gordon's an older back. They don't need to give him reps. That's the one right who doesn't there. need preparation specifically. So if there's if they're concluding it based on that, it's it's a hasty assumption.
1: Okay, that makes sense. I still like getting Melvin Gordon in the the builds where I need like a third or fourth running back in the double digit rounds. Oh, yeah. Right. Something that got me really excited was there were some positive buzz on Donald Parham. I know that, you know, preseason, it's great. And Parham, we've always liked his athletic tools. I mean, you know, we're always looking for a tight end that goes outside of the top 20 to pop. I mean, he's undrafted in most leagues. Is the Chargers, Donald Parham? I think he's like six foot eight. Is this the year that he could be fantasy viable? We love the offense.
2: Yeah, it's tough to know because he, he's such a weird player because he is skilled as a receiver and he is athletic, but his body type just isn't really appropriate for football. Like he's, <laughs> he's actually six foot eight and three eighths. So it's like if they were if they rounded him up the way they normally round up their short receivers to make them sound bigger, he'd be like listed at 6'10", 230 or something, which is just insane. It's like, it's like an NBA center build. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's tough for me to see him ever being a player who scales up. Like, I think he can make some really cool acrobatic plays, but he also might be one of those guys where if you up his snap count from 400 to 700, he, uh, he shows you this other kind of, this other kind of, uh, uh, liability that he never showed before. And you might see it and be like, Oh my God, now I see why they don't give him 600 snaps. Uh, so I worry he's that, but um, it, I am definitely like the lowest on Gerald Everett. So if someone no. were trying to hype him by saying like, you know, he's going to push out Everett, I'm, I'm more inclined than just about anyone to believe that because I don't think Everett can play.
1: Everybody likes Michael Pittman as a third round pick. And, you know, I mean, he certainly he was like a fifth round pick when draft season started. I understand why he's the clear alpha. Matt Ryan certainly has proven he could feed an alpha Julio Jones for many years. Uh, but I think there's opportunity with the wide receiver two position, given that the Colts don't really have a tight end to command target. So my favorite is Paris Campbell rookie. Alec Pierce has been running with the ones, but he is a rookie. Uh, and then, Ashton Dooland, man, he's been making some acrobatic catches. Uh, you know, our friend of the show, Matt Kelly, makes the joke that Ashton Doolin's already been NFL All-Pro, given it was as a returner, you know? so But funny, he already has All-Pro on his resume. Uh, one of these guys is going to end up being fantasy viable, I think. Which one of the wide receiver twos do you think it could be for fantasy football this year?
2: Uh, Well... Doolin is just the fourth receiver there. That's just, he's 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 got that issue unless one of the other three is out of the way. Uh, Paris Campbell is pretty clearly setting up to be somewhat of a slot specialist with Pierce there. They had Campbell out of position running in the role that Pierce will this year. Pierce is very well suited to it. He's 6'3". He's fast. He's going to be good downfield. So I like both Paris Campbell and Pierce, actually. Um, Mm -hmm. Campbell I've had to tap the brakes on just because I picked him so many times early Mm -hmm. on as I have uh, each of the past three years. So uh, I just kind of have an exposure amount that I needed to, to diversify, um, but not because I wanted to actually get away from him. I, I think if it's plainly the case that if he stays healthy, he's going to be a big profit opportunity because uh, one thing that that people miss is that, yeah, Pittman had a clear like wide receiver one role last year. Part of that was just because Carson Wentz can't actually throw to anybody. He can miss the broad side of the barn, and Pittman is the, the closest to barn-sized receiver that they have um matt ryan is going to be able to get the ball to other players and that doesn't mean Pittman's in trouble i just mean to say there's growth areas in the other parts of the field that i think people might underestimate
1: so who's your pick which one of those guys will be the best fantasy asset from- uh, i
2: think campbell but it's like if you could if you tell me he's gonna get hurt again I was like well hell then pierce yeah but i like pierce i don't i, I think he can definitely play
1: yeah, a little bit undervalued in rookie drafts as well. Pierce was re- available at almost any pick in the second round that you wanted him. All right, just a couple other news items that popped today that I thought were interesting is the, I think the, the the best fantasy football players, the pros, they don't mind taking these boring picks that produce. Last year, taking like Joe Mixon in the second round was so non-exciting, but it was a, a strategy that got you pretty far in fantasy football because he produced like a top five player at the position. Um, there Robert Woods, man, he's they said he looks healthy. Uh, you know, what does Tennessee have? I mean, Robert Woods was was really good for fantasy football when he was on the Rams. Ryan Tannehill is gonna look to his veterans. Is Robert Woods, now that he's you know, looked good in, in uh camp and in practice and recovered, is he somebody that's a true sleeper? I mean, there's no such thing as sleepers anymore. Is this a good late round pick? You can get him in round nine or eleven.
2: Yeah, I think the price being as low as it does makes it a pretty easy case. Like, yeah, he's he's a good value right now. He, the only way he wouldn't be is if he gets hurt again. And by all accounts, he's pretty much close to 100% already. So I I don't see any need for concern. It's, it's just a green light to me.
1: Who's a player in the first round of fantasy football drafts that you're just not taking? It doesn't matter what pick you have.
2: Ah, uh, man, um... I mean, I don't want to say like I'd never take him or anything. But well, you know what I'm saying? It's I hyperbole am, am to say you'll he'll never Henry Henry in that foot. And I'm concerned about the Titans as a team. I
1: saying, I talked over you say it again.
2: Oh, I I'm concerned about Derek Henry in the foot. And I'm also convinced the Titans are going to fall off this year. So, uh, I don't, I don't want to say I would never take it. Well, I mean, I probably would not ever take him in the first, just because I, I feel like there's just some safer running backs in the second round. And, uh, I I just uh, I wish Henry the best. I'm certainly a big fan of his long time early advocate of Henry, but I I'm terrified about what might happen with that foot. So hopefully I'm just wrong.
1: You know what? I don't know. I always ask anyone that I'm talking to on a podcast, this question, um, where are you taking Christian McCaffrey? I am not taking him in the top five. I'm okay, only because of the other options that are available to me. Obviously I still think Christian McCaffrey, I, I understand why someone would do it. It's just that when someone asks me, I don't do it because of the other options. So not an overall tournament. If you're in a, uh, you know, a, a thing with an over, a contest with an overall prize, I understand why you would do it, but just in your regular 12 team redraft league where, you know, it's just your office friends or a competitive league, whatever it is, where should Christian McCaffrey get drafted? Well, wh- I should say, where are you going to take him?
2: Um, so I wouldn't begrudge anyone for taking him as high as first overall. I think if, there's a pretty clearly, you know, coherent case for that, and in in part of that too, at least in like twelve team leagues, I, I'll say. I guess I don't know if the dynamic changes in bigger or it would only get for the better case. I guess if you made it a smaller league, but if maybe fourteen teams, it's more risky or something like that. But in twelve team leagues, especially when we can get like josh jacobs or antonio gibson in the sixth round i think it's just justifiable to take on that risk not just because of the upside that McCaffrey obviously has but because if he does get hurt like if the worst fear does come true and he, he's you know he's on ir with a high ankle sprain in week three or whatever then in this market i think you can still get like non-liability running back uh backups if, if you make your pick smart so That's kind of how I see it. But if if I'm wrong about the assumption of just getting running back depth later, then it would be a more costly uh, error, I guess.
1: All right, so I'll ask you the question again because I want an answer, Mario. What pick number would you? I'm gonna. Okay, how about this? Uh, we'll do I no said
2: I, I would take him first if I got the chance on underdog, for instance, because I just can't get the. Well, that's an over again. That's of, an overall
1: contest. That's an overall. I'm talking about your 12 team home league. All right, how about that? We're well, going to do it like this. I'm going to name a player. A
2: three, I guess because I, like I would probably just take like Justin Jefferson and Jonathan Taylor ahead of him.
1: Would you take Cooper Cup ahead of him?
2: Uh, generally, yes, but not in this case.
1: And what about Jamar Chase? Would you take him ahead of him? No. Okay. All right. So you have them at three or four. I got to the answer folks. See, I, I <laughs> pried through and I got to it. Hey Mario, if you're ready for a new challenge this year and you love fantasy sports dynasty owner is the new way to play fantasy football with real life salaries, adding strategy to running an actual franchise dynasty owner provides a unique and challenging experience that will test your skills as an owner and general manager. You have a complete control over your team's future. You could build through the draft, make trade, sign free agents, manage your team salary cap. You can create a dynasty of champions, Sign up now at DynastyOwner.com. Use promo code ROTO5, that's R-O-T-O-5, to receive five bucks off any new team. I love Dynasty Owner, man. That's a great platform. We're actually having them on uh, our podcast to talk through Dynasty in that format uh, in a couple weeks. I'm Alan Sislowski sitting in pajama category, and of course, I am with Mario Puig. And we're just going over some of the news and the notes of the day, giving you some good fantasy takes and... We were talking about the first round, and we finally found out that Mario Puig is interested in Christian McCaffrey at pick three. Uh, I'm trying to set my uh, KDS for the NFFC high-stakes contest, and third-round reversal I don't think really is too much of a factor this year, so I'm just trying to figure out where the cut line is. Where do you think the sweet spot is to pick in the first round this year? I mean, I know there's—is there a tier of four or five? Is it a tier of eight? Where does he, you think there's the round one drop-off this year?
2: I mean, I would say something like, I don't know. I, I don't really like spots five through eight that well, let's, go throw. let's go through it. Let's go through it. I was going to say, third-round reversal, I actually think it's every single spot pretty much has a good case to make, including the later – like, normally getting 12 or 11 kind of sucks. But uh, if you're getting, you know, like, Devontae Adams, C.D. Lamb or something to start out, and then you get another relatively high pick to get – I don't know what a realistic running back target would be or whatever, but that sounds really good to me as much, even though it also sounds good to have whatever, like Justin Jefferson, McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor starts. It's, it's, uh, I think, I think the third round reversal has a, has a pretty uh, good equalizing effect in this market.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. And you know what, there's, I actually, I looked at my, my notes here. There's one situation that I didn't ask you about. That I think is important. Uh, there was a note yesterday, uh, we're recording this on Thursday, that Sean McVay said that he views Cam Akers and Daryl uh, Henderson as his co-number ones. So I'm curious where you are. I mean, right now, if that is true, Daryl Henderson is the best value in fantasy football going in the 11th round. I mean, he's being totally ignored. I assume his ADP is going to move up to like the 7th or 8th round, maybe the ninth round. Uh, it will be a slow creep. But I started, uh, I was ignoring Cam Akers in the 4th round. I started taking him on the 3-4 turn because i had a little fomo in some of my drafts so if you don't mind parse out for everybody the cam acres uh given what we saw from him last year and now this new blurb from sean mcveigh about daryl henderson
2: well i've probably been mostly an acres critic for most of his career so uh i'm not sure if that if that's worth anything to you when i say i don't really understand the panic around him like i wasn't buying him in the third or fourth round, but that was largely just because I I have Elijah Mitchell ahead of him, and I'm taking Elijah Mitchell two rounds later if I have the choice. So I wasn't picking Acres, but it was, it was more just because I thought the market was a little goofy. Uh, this McVeigh quote is not reassuring for Acres investors. I also think it's it's more likely to cause an overreaction than an appropriate reaction. Like in in practice, I don't even know if it makes any sense. Or like McVeigh would have to behave totally differently than he has even even a guy like sony michelle he would commit to for an entire game it was like he seemed to value specifically having one running back take as much usage as possible in a game he didn't really have games where he'd go with a hot hand switching between three different players so maybe maybe he decided that was silly and he's going to try to have a more running back committee approach but otherwise uh mcveigh's history is always just kind of going with one running back in which case like maybe daryl anderson is the starter i guess but it's not both of them. That's not possible. Like it's, it's, it's just gotta be one or it's gotta be an exaggerated statement on McVeigh's part, which is kind of what I lean toward. I think it's like, he's saying not that Henderson is going to start over acres or even take all that much work from him as much as like, well, if acres gets hurt again, we don't care. Kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean it's Acres. It's it's interesting because it did not look good last year when he came back. Understandably, by the way, understandably. And by the way, I've had you know, speaking of injury running backs, I've had heated debates with with Jim Coventry about he. I, I mean, I totally fade the injury guys because there's going to be so many injuries in fantasy football. Why lean into it? I mean, even Chris Godwin. You know the the fact that he didn't go on pup list, right? Um, I'm still not interested because. I mean, there's still probably a low probability he plays in week one. And if he does, he's probably not going to be himself for a couple weeks. And then you start him, and he goes three for 30. You know, it's, it's always such a headache, but specifically since we're talking about injured running backs, JK Dobbins in a couple of our Vegas leagues, uh, he went like in the fifth round. I mean, JK Dobbins is a good running back, but uh, you know, the early signs he's not ready to play yet, or he's not, he's on pop. I shouldn't say, you know, he's, chomping at the bit to get into uh to supposedly he's saying to the coaches i want to play i want to practice they're saying no 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 he is a quote veteran but do you think that adp is a little rich in the late fourth fifth round or do i have it totally wrong and i should be leaning into this
2: i mean i agree with the the market conclusion i guess i just have different reasons for it i thought he was just projected too high i love dobbins to me he was clearly the second best prospect in that Taylor draft. Like Taylor was one to me. Dobbins was two. Um, I still think people were too generous with what they were projecting his workload to be. And that's, that's even assuming the full health. I, it wasn't so much that I thought like, Oh, you got to worry about missed time. I, I, I don't know how to guess that one. If I would need something a little worse than an ACL tear. I'd need like a patella tear or something like that before I'd get too worried, especially with a guy as young and as athletic as Dobbins. But uh, I just think people have the wrong idea for his usage, basically. And uh, I, I prefer Elijah Mitchell straight up. I, I, I prefer at price Antonio Gibson, et cetera.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Have you done many, uh, auction drafts? We had a, a good, um, comment. I really and-
2: suck at au- auctions. I don't really, <laughs> I don't know how to do it.
1: Auctions a little bit of a leak in my game too. And we had someone in the chat ask me, uh, you know, about, I paid 23 bucks for Zeke and 19 for acres. And it's funny. And I'm not going to go into the whole Zeke uh, spiel now, but you know, I've, I've said what, well, you know, in the third round of fantasy football drafts it's to me it's the best value. He's an iron man, doesn't miss games. Uh you're not looking for a top 3 player, he's just, you know, an iron man that you could put in there should finish around RB9, RB11, you know, if if all goes well. Uh but Acres, we were just talking about him. Uh, when I, when I did, uh, I spent 19 bucks on an auction. It felt good uh, in a league, but that's why I was asking you about this. Cause I just came out of a, um, a room of sharks and I paid 19 for acres thinking he was going to be the, the sole workload guy and Henderson sprinkled it in. So I was curious on your take there. All right, Mario Puig, uh, you did it again. We appreciate you. The audience loves you. I love you. You know that. Look at, look at him smiling. I'm making him well, blush. We love every-
2: you, Alan. Uh, I'm not so sure about uh, the rest of that. <laughs> All
1: right. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another uh, podcast. Uh, tomorrow, I have uh, Ryan uh, Ryan Poulon, a uh, new full time employee of RotoWire. I love Ryan, man. He's got some great oh, nice. dynasty takes. So we'll be back at 10 30 tomorrow morning for the live stream. And of course, in the RotoWire Fantasy Football podcast, you follow Mario on Twitter. What's your, 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 new tw- uh, your updated Twitter handle right now?
2: Uh, it's the posting scout, Alan.
1: Okay, at the, or you could just type in Mario Puig and it'll come up. Uh, the posting scout is you're saying that with a little maybe, bit of maybe snark check and the
2: articles. Yeah, uh, we got we got lots of articles for you in, at the uh, roadwire.com.
1: And yeah, and I will also link all your. Uh, you know, I if, listen. If you don't follow Mario, you're out of your mind. He's he's one of the best followers on Twitter. It's the right, in my judgment, you have the right uh, mixture of snark, information, challenging. You know. People that put out takes, um, you're a good follow, Mary. Whether you like it or you're not, you're a
2: countercultural person, Alan. You're not a you're not a household uh, media guy, you know.
1: Yeah, well, you're, you're anyway.
2: more interested in the experimental genres.
1: Yeah, because I like that you go up and you shank these people. You know, you you poke at them, but you don't go from behind. You go right in front of them. You, you challenge them right to their face. Often they don't respond back because you corner that listen put it this way I know better than get into an argument with you that's what I'm saying is some of these people it's
2: always it's always ideological with me and we're on the same team so
1: yeah yeah but right (laughs) that too but like I said
2: it's it's the um
1: you know what it is I feel like when these people start to argue with you or or joust with you they don't realize they they uh they underestimate you they see this guy come up and they're like, eh, who's this dude? And then they just realize, before they know it, you're like one of those guys that like knows karate and you've hit them it's four times bad before they.
2: Or I'm already blocked. It's it's never <laughs> in between. Yeah. Well, block
1: is the ultimate, you know, nutless move, right? That's the, uh, you know, I can't take it anymore. So.
2: You got you to make your world, uh, you know, enjoyable. You got to cut out things that annoy you. I certainly need to. So I I, I block liberally because I'm just kind of like I'm too. Yeah. Add to be seeing this stuff right now. I gotta don't block
1: anyone, man. We need we need you to joust with these people to fight with them. That's the best. Listen, I one of my usual stops on Twitter is going to your Twitter and seeing who you're fighting with. <laughs> That's what I oh, listen. I, really I need to grow up. That and, and I scroll through TikTok. By the way, go for, if you're on um if you have a TikTok account, follow at Rotowire. We're putting up tons of vertical video every day. Of course, if you're watching this video, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Throw us a like if you if you got value from this video. And everybody, we'll see you tomorrow. Good luck in your drafts. Good luck in your fantasy leagues. We'll be back tomorrow, Friday, for a new podcast.
3: Story, story, story.